I speak to you in the name of the one true and holy God. Please be seated. Have you ever had times in your life when you were afraid you were drowning? I've read this story of Peter trying to walk on water many times, as I'm sure you all have too. But this is the first time that I stop to think about the sheer terror Peter must have felt as it unfolded. The Sea of Galilee is not very large. Indeed, sea is very much a misnomer, thank you, Matthew because it's actually a lake. The modern name is Lake Kinneret, and the circumference of the entire lake is only 33 miles around. So pretty small, really. But apparently, because it's at a very low elevation and also surrounded by high hills, this lake is prone to sudden violence storms. So often, especially in the modern era, we take shelter for granted. Even though we New Yorkers see unsheltered people in and around the city every day, and even though the climate crisis is bringing nature closer to us all the time, just ask the people on Maui. Even so, we watch the wind and the rain through our windows. I heard a lot of stories of people being awakened last night by the storm this morning. And we trust that all will be well. Realistically, for most of us, being out on the water is a choice, not a necessity. Very few of us work on ships for a living, as several of the disciples did. And many of us know how to swim, but we only do so for pleasure. So all in all, our attitude towards water has been shaped by very different experiences than the people in this story. And yet, and yet, we're all still afraid of drowning, aren't we? Full disclosure, Stories of drowning have a very particular resonance for me. I'm not sure if any of you know that my biological father died by drowning when I was 13 months old. He got caught in a riptide off the coast of Florida while vacationing with my mother, my older brother, and me. My earliest memory is of riding in a kind of military-style airplane, an experience I described to my mother later when I was an adult. Once she got over her shock that I actually remembered this, she confirmed that this was the kind of plane we were in when we flew my father's body back to Louisiana. Even as a 13-month-old, the trauma of that event ran deep, as I can imagine it does for any of you who have experienced the death of a loved one by drowning. 
Strangely enough, my friend Jenny and I were caught in a riptide in 1993 during a vacation to Mexico. I can still recall so distinctly my husband holding Aiden, who was now 30, on the shore. I could tell that Philippe knew we were in trouble. He immediately alerted the lifeguards, who then went out and rescued Jenny. Blessedly, while they did that, I was able to swim parallel and escaped the rip. That experience was definitely not fun. I can still see the beach in my mind's eye right now. And I also remember the two opposing thoughts that kept going back and forth in my head. The first one was, I am not going out like my father. And the second one was, I can't believe I'm going to die like my father and leave my child a baby. Why am I telling you all this? Because drowning is really scary. And the line between confidence in your own abilities and panic is very thin. Ask me how I know. <laughs> so I'm not kidding when I tell you that I have enormous empathy for Peter in this story. Coming close to drowning on a sunny day at a beach in Mexico was bad. And remember, I could see the shore and I knew that people were actively trying to help. Can we imagine how much more frightening it must have been for Peter tossed up and down in big storm waves late at night in a blustery wind, knowing that the only rescue available was a boat full of people who were also in trouble and a person walking on water. Would any of us have been truly confident that we'd be okay? Would any of us have immediately trusted the apparition walking on water? Was he even real? Was he a ghost? Okay, he was talking, but would any of us been able to conquer our fear in that situation? It's no wonder Peter was afraid. It's also no wonder that Jesus, who knew what it was to be human, had compassion for him in that moment. So I ask again, have you ever had times in your life when you were afraid you were drowning? Afraid that you had nowhere to turn? Afraid that no rescue would come? My hunch is that you would all answer yes. Because here's another truth. Drowning doesn't only happen in water. We can drown in misinformation. We can drown in our work. We can drown in fears and worries that keep us up at night. Fears of violence, fears of political mayhem, fears of a mysterious new virus that we cannot even see, 
fears of saying or doing the wrong thing, fears of being canceled, fears of not being enough. Which is why the evidence of Jesus' profound compassion for us in this story is so important because God knows it all and God sees it all. And God still loves us and offers that compassion to us all of the time. But how exactly does Jesus express the compassion in this story? By reaching out his hand to Peter first. Jesus catches Peter immediately, even before speaking. Jesus knew that Peter needed to immediately feel the overt contact of God's sustaining love. Would any of us be surprised if Jesus then proceeded to hold Peter in his arms, keeping him close, enveloping him in that compassion? Jesus offered Peter the instant physical reassurance that all would be well. Any of us who have ever held on to someone or something in times of stress know instinctively how crucial physical touch is to calm us down. Our bodies know when something is genuine in a way that our minds, especially our survival instinct minds, do not. Our bodies can help us soothe those reactionary parts of our brains. That's why the most common advice to people when they are panicking is to breathe, consciously slowing their breath. This practice sends signals to our brains to relax and slow down. Reassuring physical touch, it has the same effect. Being held or holding on to something or someone can calm an overactive, frightened mind. And here's another beautiful aspect of healing touch. That touch doesn't have to be from another human. You have all heard my story of making masks during the first six months of the pandemic. For me, the familiar rhythmic movement of my hands in the sewing machine was key to keeping me sane in that time of huge fear and anxiety. God's creativity flows deep and wide. We can experience reassuring touch in a multitude of forms. Our bodies contain so much wisdom if we only listen to them. They know when we're in danger and they know when we are truly safe. Jesus reached out his hand to Peter first so that Peter would know immediately he was safe.
that he'd always been safe, that God was with him even amidst the wind and the waves. Jesus reached out his hand to Peter, reassuring him. And then, only then, did he remind Peter that faith is an action, that faith is a choice, that faith is a way of living, that faith is choosing to live in trust. The Spirit calls us to listen to the deeper wisdom that is contained within each of us. And it's those very faithful actions that break down the negative stories we tell ourselves when we feel unsafe. Faith is listening to the inner voices of wisdom, both of our bodies and of the Spirit. When we stop and listen, we know what's true. When we stop and touch, we know what's real. When we stop and wait and listen, we feel God's abiding love. So let the winds blow and let the rains come. God is still there with us always. Amen.